Episode 20, Revelation Overview, Toolbox 2, The Code. In our last episode, we discussed the necessity of the code to properly understanding the codex and to be able to discover the truth and to have ears to now hear what the Spirit now says to the churches. Let us continue with our exploration of the code. The code, idioms, a view from the heavenlies. In the book of Revelation, we are given a view of how Yahweh sees things. It is a view like no other, and it is delivered from the perspective of the heavenlies. Through the images of angels, demons, horses, scrolls, trumpets, bowls, thrones, dominions, kingdoms, a dragon, a beast, a woman who rides the beast, and so on. This glimpse into the heavenly realms makes it extremely difficult for our earthly minds to comprehend. And that is why it is dangerous to try and understand this book from the earthly or natural perspective, trying hard to fit these images into a modern world. For instance, are we to understand Lucifer to be Satan, an angel, a serpent, a dragon, or a devil, or somehow all of the above? Here is another example. This book surprisingly never mentions, not even once, the man we call the Antichrist. But it speaks cogently about the beast, the demon who comes out of the abyss and possesses the man we call the Antichrist. Accordingly, all throughout Revelation, the Spirit gives us a view of the activities of the demon and not the man. From God's perspective, the man is incidental because it is the demon who drives and empowers the man. The man, the Antichrist, is just a vehicle or a vessel for this demonic spirit to accomplish his purposes in the realm of humanity. Again, the perspective we are given is based on how God describes reality through the unseen heavenly realms. All things are initiated from the throne of God, are communicated through the agency of spiritual messengers, angels and demons, and finally come to fruition in the natural realms. Hence, the spiritual reality always precedes the physical expression. The code helps us navigate the heavenly perspective and bring a tangible understanding to the Spirit's use of colors, objects, numbers, and phrases, many of which allude to various prophetic images from the Codex, both the Old and the New Testaments, as well as allusions to symbols from Greco-Roman mythology, which were familiar to the biblical authors. Why the games? You might be wondering, why did God have to make things so confusing and not just clearly say what he means? Throughout the Codex, Yahweh uses idioms and language with a twofold purpose. On the one hand, in his mercy, he purposes to cloud from understanding those who do not yet have eyes to see or ears to hear. On the other hand, he purposes to give understanding to those who are now seeking and desiring the truth. Mercy. In the first instance, it is an act of mercy. Yahweh is not going to force himself on those who do not genuinely want to know and understand the truth. For if they did grasp the truth, they would be held accountable in judgment for both their understanding and for what they chose to do with the truth. Jesus said, So take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. 
And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. Therefore, it is an act of mercy and a demonstration of his love for mankind for God to limit what they have by clouding his communication in code. Or said another way, to limit their knowledge so as to limit their accountability and their judgment. Reciprocal Relationship In the second instance, God clearly wants to give himself to those who are now wanting him. As he says, if you seek him, he will let you find him. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I love all those who love me. Those who search will surely find me. Clearly, God wants to be found by those who want to seek him out. This whole dynamic played out during Jesus' time on the earth. Hence, he spoke everything in a parable, fulfilling the prophecy which says, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. This was mercy and protection to those who did not yet possess the ears to hear. And it was a blessing to those who had ears to hear what the Spirit was saying through Jesus. Emotional connection. And finally, I think the language is intended to evoke our emotions. Jesus could have said that a demon will possess a man who will function as a world dictator. Instead, God revealed a terrifying beast coming out of the waters so we would grasp at the terrifying nature of this demon. He describes religion as Babylon, a seductive woman who rides the beast, evoking deep emotion from those with Jewish roots. Then he likens Babylon to Jerusalem, Sodom, and Egypt. Can you imagine the shock of that imagery to the mind of a Jew? Jerusalem with Sodom and Egypt? He contrasts the bride of Christ, all true believers, with the harlot who sits on the beast, the woman who seduces all men into fornication or, spiritual speaking, through code, idolatry. All this imagery is powerful, and it is intended to move us, shake us, and keep us from ever being complacent when it comes to our need to be found now and continually believing the truth. Through examining the use of these idioms, we will unpack what the Spirit is saying to the churches. I am not, however, going to cover every idiom, as some are very plain and easy to understand. For instance, a key symbolizes access and control, and a trumpet speaks of a warning or a proclamation, and some idioms are explained in the text. In addition, I am not going to dive into the entirety of the code, but only those relevant to our study in Revelation. I've created some charts covering each aspect of the code, which might be very helpful for you to download. You can go to Thresher Media Group and download the transcript from this week's podcast, and in it are the charts with the information we are going to cover. In addition, I post a transcript each week which contains all the footnotes and references from the codex, addressing everything I say in quote, to help you dig into the codex and decide if what I am saying is just another so-called truth or if it is the truth. The code. Colors. Gold symbolizes deity. Silver, truth, wisdom, and redemption. Brass, bronze, is judgment, a symbol of the judgment of sin. Purple speaks of royalty and wealth. Scarlet speaks of religion, true and false, politics, power, and hope. Red is the color of death threat, violence, and blood. White speaks of purity and righteousness. 
black, darkness, gloom, mourning, sackcloth. Green speaks of life, growth, and sustenance. Dapple, pale, ashen, or greenish is life gone bad, pestilence, disease, and death. The code, objects. Lamb speaks of sacrifice. The lion, one who is powerful, majestic, and fearless. The morning star is hope for a new day. Oil and wine, the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit in general. The bride, New Jerusalem, Zion, the holy city, the temple, virgins, child's offspring, children of the woman. All of these speak of the called, chosen, and faithful, the true believers, the bond servants of Jesus Christ. Barley and the wheat as an offering is a picture of the believing Jews, the barley, and believing Gentiles, the wheat. The woman, the nation of Israel, often depicted through her harlotry and apostasy. Stars, they signify angels as well as the sons of Jacob. The serpent and the dragon, those are images of Satan, Lucifer, the devil, demons, and those who do the bidding of the demonic. Jerusalem, the great city, Babylon, identified with the woman who rides the beast. These are all symbolic for religion and apostasy. The city where Jesus was crucified, mystically called Sodom and Egypt. And I want to note that there is no direct reference in the Bible to Israel or Jerusalem as Egypt. Rather, Egypt is a symbol of the world system which God's people escaped. It's a system ruled by Pharaoh or Satan and managed through religion. The bottomless pit or the abyss. It's a place of deepest darkness, a prison where certain angels have been kept for the day of judgment. The wine press, judgment by the Spirit of God. Incense, prayers of the saints. The sword, it's a symbol of warfare, strife, divine judgment, authority, the truth which cuts like a sword. Eyes, they speak of understanding, the omniscient and omnipresent side of the Spirit. Fire, speaks of judgment purification, destruction, and appeasement. A throne addresses authority, power, majesty, and splendor. A horn, like an animal horn, speaks of the power or status in a social context, including military might, a weapon of violence and defense. Whereas a head, upon which the horn rests, speaks of authority, leadership, ruling. Crowns. There are a couple of different crowns. First, there's the Stephanos, which is a victor's crown, a symbol of truth in games or contest, a token of public honor. And there's the diadem, which speaks of a kingly or imperial dignity. The candlestick or the lampstand speaks of a witness, illumination, a bearer of light. Waters, the sea, speaks of the restless masses of humanity this continual churning chaos against God and creation, the doubter, people, multitudes, and nations. Rainbows speaks of covenant and promise. Clouds, they're chariots, their means of transportation, and a covering, a presence but hiddenness. For example, no one can see God and live, so he cloaks himself with the cloud. Winds are messengers. They're his angels. 
The east wind is associated with stirring up things for judgment, and the west wind with blessing. Mountains speak of might, protection, or refuge, huge obstacles, kingdoms, or habitations, like Mount Zion or Babylon, including the system of kingdoms of thought and belief. In contrast, islands kind of speak of people at the ends of the earth, which are remote and isolated kingdoms, including these smaller systems of thought and belief. Grass speaks of people, all flesh of humanity. And trees, they speak of distinguished or prominent leaders of nations. Assyria and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, were referred to as cedars. Nebuchadnezzar was referred to as a tree. The tree symbolizes majesty, beauty, protection, rest, dependency, wisdom, life, desire fulfilled, as well as pride, human exaltation. The code, phrases, alpha and omega, first and the last, beginning and the end. This refers to Yahweh's complete sovereignty in all things. As all things start with Jesus and all things end with him, nothing comes into being that he did not create. It also refers to his prophetic voice that declares events in advance, which always come to pass. It is just a matter of time. The Great Tribulation. It's the time of God's wrath, a time of unparalleled terror. It's also known as the Day of the Lord, the Day of Yahweh. In the history of mankind, it is something that has never occurred, nor will occur again. And it's important to understand that this is a defined term, which begins some undefined time after the abomination of desolation. And it is identified by the pouring out of the bowls of wrath, known as the day of Yahweh's great wrath, the day of Yahweh, the time of Jacob's trouble, the day of the east wind, the day of God, or simply that day. They that dwell on the earth. This is rendered in the present active participle. Is speaking about those who are now and continually make their home here in the earth. They have chosen, whether they know it or not, to not dwell in the heavens, but to find their identity, purpose, and purposehood in the world. And they stand in contrast to those who dwell in heaven, which are the chosen or the bondservants of God who now and continually dwell in heaven as they have been raised up with Christ. The code. Numbers. One speaks of unity. Two speaks of division or a difference. It also speaks of witness. Three, perfection. Four speaks of God's creative works, usually listed in fours. Lights in the expanse for signs, seasons, days, and years. Creation of the material universe, finished on day four. The four rivers of Eden. Sabbath is the fourth commandment. The four winds, the four corners of the sky or the earth, four displays of the spirit, signs, wonders, miracles, gifts, four living creatures around the throne, four horns on the altar, four angels bound by the river Euphrates, division of humanity, people, tribes, tongues, and nations, four seasons, four elements, earth, wind, fire, and water. The number five speaks of the grace of God given for the abject neediness of man seen in the five books of the Pentateuch, the five commands for God and man, and the five for man to man. The tabernacle is centered around five, five curtains, pillars, bars, boards, and curtains, 
five ingredients in the anointing oil, symbolic of the Holy Spirit, five Levitical offerings, burnt, grain, peace, sin, and guilt, and five times five equals 25, which is grace upon grace. Six is the number of man. Seven speaks of completion or totality, seven aspects of creation, light, expanse, waters gathered, lights in the expanse, waters with living creatures, earth with living creatures, and man. The number 10 speaks of the divine order of human affairs. It's a time for testing. 12 speaks of perfect spiritual administration, or the spiritual government of the affairs of mankind. 144,000 is 12 times 12. Jew and Gentile believers from three times four to the second power. A perfect gathering from among God's creative works of two witnesses that are distinguished by spiritual ethnicity, Jews and Gentiles. Three and a half, 42, 1,260 times time and half a time. An epoch of spiritual time understood both literally and figuratively. The code can be overwhelming for sure, but I assure you, as you use these charts and refer back to Toolbox 1, key language elements, you'll become remarkably familiar with the code and the codex from which we acquire our understanding.